issue for all women. Hello, ho, ho there. Mickey here, bringing you one last owl treat before Christmas. That's right, it's the gift of men. In this episode, Hannah and I nearly lose our shit laughing with Joe Lysett, Nish Kumar, Craig Parkinson and the boss herself, Sarah Millican. We talk solo volleyball, climate change, peer pressure, being Buzz Killington in a WhatsApp group, sharing feelings and just how much mummy has been drinking. We recorded this in front of a live audience at King's Place back in November. So a lot of the election chat is, well, before the death of hope, basically. Our next gig is in January in Newcastle, but it is sold out. Hooray! However, there are tickets available for our Valentine's Day hurrah at King's Place in London. Guests still to be announced, but we guarantee it'll be a schmaltz-free February the 14th. Whatever you're up to over the festive period, we hope you have a smashing time. As our Christmas present, please do consider booking to come see a live show. We can't keep doing them if there's no audience, and as you're about to hear, they are stupid amounts of fun. Thanks to King's Place for having us, for Emma Caution for all things tech, and thanks to the excellent humans that are Craig, Nish, Joe and Sarah. Brace yourselves, kids. It's a doozy. This lovely top you've got on. Yes, it's really slippy, so it's really nice to touch myself. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... <laughs> You've had one glass of wine, I and I think it's gone straight to your little head. International Men's Day tomorrow. I'm going to have a wank. <laughs> Is that what it's about? <laughs> Only do you're allowed to wank. Yeah. I haven't wanked what? all year, Nish, have you? It's yeah. going to be a big old day tomorrow for old Joe. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's going to drown himself. <laughs> He's just been at home laminating everything. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Stand Issue Podcast. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> Hannah. <laughs> Hello. Do you want to kick off the intros? I'm Hannah Zanlevy. I'm one quarter of the Standard Issue team. Um, and this is actually a second panel I've done uh, talking to men today. Two panels. And the other guys were really good. No pressure. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Nish? I'm Nish Kumar. I'm a comedian. And uh, a fun fact about me is backstage... I was. Uh, I took off my jumper, which also is a Choose Love Help Refugees jumper, to reveal that underneath I was wearing a T-shirt that is a Choose Love Help Refugees T-shirt, and Sarah Milligan described me as being bang on brand. <laughs> <laughs> is it like a Russian doll? Is there more things underneath? Yeah, yeah, nice yeah, vest. Yeah, I've got, I need tattoos. Yeah, I've got this tattooed all across my chest, and then I've actually had a surgeon write it on my internal organs. <laughs> so help me God, if you X-ray me, you will choose love. <laughs> Sarah Millie Mann. Oh, oh, is that... Do I have to pretend I've got a nub today? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's no different. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Sarah Millican. I am one quarter of the Stand Issue podcast team, and I I am currently... Random fact about me, I'm currently training my hair to not be washed every day. But I've washed it today for you guys. (laughs) And I'm unsure as to yet as to whether you're worth it. (laughs) You're welcome. <laughs> Hello, I am Joe Lysett, comedian, presenter, sculptor, painter, uh. lover, hater, <laughs> fighter, 
I am actually... Oh, maybe that's my fact. I um, am learning to box. Ooh. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> sorry. And what's I funny about that? I couldn't keep it in. I couldn't keep it in. For a TV show where people do things that are completely against their brand. <laughs> no, I'm doing it for... Um, I really want to get a really... Just once in my life, I want to get really hench upper body, <laughs> like a six-pack and real rippling muscles. Um, apparently, boxing's quite good for that. I've been doing it for over a year. It's not helped. <laughs> <laughs> helped just yet. Joe, what would your boxer's name be if you were like pro? Mummy. <laughs> I call. I've started calling myself Mummy, and. What I like about it is I always use it in the third person and everything becomes really tragic. So you go, Mummy's having a glass of wine. <laughs> there's, there's something about it that sort of takes... Yes. So Mummy, Mummy's Mummy. coming into the ring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mummy's done that before. <laughs> I feel like we've really smutted up this podcast very quickly. No, it's your podcast, isn't it? It's your podcast, Sarah. (laughs) Mummy's coming into the ring. (laughs) (laughs) Craig? Um, Don't. Uh, I'm Craig Parkinson. I'm an actor and I uh, do a podcast because everybody does them nowadays. Um, And I'm on stage with a load of comedians and I'm probably not going to get a word in edgeways. (laughs) But it's Monday, so I've got nothing else to do, so I thought... (laughs) Do you have a fun fact about yourself? No. Oh. <laughs> Classic Blackpool. <laughs> That's positive. Is that quite positive? That's quite positive. Oh, think, yeah. okay. Is it going to get less positive? Absolutely, yeah, okay, of course. Great. Brace yourselves, kids. <laughs> um, I'm Mickey Noonan. I'm a quarter of the Standard Issue podcast team. And on uh, this finger here, I managed to slice the top of the joint off while shaving my knuckles. <laughs> Just is, that, is that your wedding ring finger? Yeah, it's really hairy. <laughs> Were you Can trying I... to get it sorted ready for the day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah now I've just got a lovely scar. Can oh. I see it? Oh, yeah. Oh. It's not... It's, you made it sound far more dramatic. You have a, a small cut on your finger. <laughs> there was blood everywhere. <laughs> Mummy. I, I re- I re- <laughs> this is tough love from Mummy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want other people to call you mummy? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Do you remember that there was a couple of years where we all called you the Duchess? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like that change to mummy? Because you're still in my phone as the Duchess. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be better though? Go, mummy's ringing. Yeah. <laughs> I've got someone in my phone as baby P. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I did not see that coming. Wow. She's the little sister of my friend Mark Powell, who we call Maxi P. So she was Baby P. And then things went wrong. Up north. Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling that might be snipped out of the podcast. <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed it. Hannah, do you have a question, please? I do. Um, you three men, and also Sarah, obviously, but you three seem to manage to um, spend your lives without being. Total dicks. Um, where are wrong. the men going so wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, come on. That's it. Why, is, why do so men find it, men find it so hard to be not dicks? Nish. Wow. 
It's a great opening question. Yeah, it is. It's a great. It's a lovely. It's a lovely opening question. I don't. I think there's. You know. I think there's. I mean, look. There's a lot of. It's been a, it's been a bad couple of centuries for the men. It's been a really. Oh, it's been a spicy couple of millennia. Um, I would say. You know, I think that in a society... This, I mean, everyone's bracing for it like it's going to be a funny answer. It's not going to be a funny answer. In a society built around sort of patriarchal norms, uh, bad behaviour by men is not just tolerated, but I think actively encouraged in a lot of ways. And so I think if you want to stop men behaving badly, the first thing you need to do is... it's a It's a problem at the very roots of society and so you have to pull up those roots and start again there you go it's not funny but are you suggesting we kill you all possibly okay. I mean let's call that let's call that plan B um, it's, yeah it's about, it's, yeah kill all men okay uh, great answer yeah but yes I think it's about sort of starting from scratch and also accepting that this is a society that's been built by men for the benefit of men, and so is entirely skewed towards men. And it's only if you really accept that that you can start to change things. And it can't just be sort of superficial things. It's you've got to look at the structures that allow, that sort of prop up institutional prejudices and societal prejudices. Listen, guys, we're in the Guardian office. This is my spiritual home. (laughs) I'm wearing a Choose Love T-shirt. Some of this shit is going to be right on as fuck. to hear from Mummy now. Uh, Mummy agrees with what Nish said. <laughs> Mummy has no further comment other than to say that um, men are can be dicks but also they've got lovely dicks. <laughs> and <laughs> Mummy sometimes enjoys those dicks. <laughs> Mummy has now finished her thread of talk. It was tricky following Nish. That's true, thank you, Mummy. Uh, I don't know, I've I've come across a fair few dicks. Uh, Not not like. (laughs) Don't get ahead of yourselves, though. Um, I've certainly worked with a fair few over the years, but. And I just think connect your brain with your mouth, that's what I was trying to do, and think before I speak, which I've not been prone to do in the past. So it's uh, take every day as it comes. Try not to be a dick today. Mm. Thank Great you. Answer. Great. Yeah. Here, here ends that TED talk. <laughs> but tomorrow, on well, tomorrow possibly you can, be a bit. Of a no, day. you're allowed tomorrow. It's International Men's Day, so you yeah. do what the fuck it's you not, want. It's not. It's not the purge, Joe. <laughs> I need to change my plans tomorrow. Massively. <laughs> seen some dicks was that what we were talking about uh, I think if, I think men have been dicks for a long time but they're starting to be not all men obviously but they're starting to be called out on it and I think that's the major difference isn't it mm-hmm. so in the past when somebody's put their arm around me to have a photograph taken and drop their hand to my arse 
I just let them do it because I just wanted to, to be over and done with. And now I don't. I say, get your fucking hand off my ass. So that's kind of what I'm doing now. So maybe apply that across everything else. I thought you liked it, in, de- in fact. <laughs> <laughs> Mummy's hand is fine. <laughs> Mummy's hand is big. <laughs> Sorry. Mummy's coming in for a cuddle. <laughs> See, it sounds tragic. <laughs> there's, some, there's just something about it. Mummy wants a cuddle now. Huh? Yeah. I feel like I would, I would call you ma'am anyway. Is that all right? Yeah, fine. Ma'am. My, my friend... I mean, this is quite grim in some ways. Um, my friend, uh, who I also called Mummy, so we, it, it gets confusing because we'll say, oh, how's Mummy? Mummy's all right. How's Mummy? And it gets a bit confusing. When we're together, we've got this thing. If somebody comes into a bar or the restaurant that we're in and we find them attractive, but we don't want to say outwardly, or like, oh, he's all right, we'll go, Mummy wants to hold baby. <laughs> Just, it's too far. It, it's too far, isn't it? But it, we enjoy it. I've got another question. Um, <laughs> I was on the train coming into town today and there were four, probably like 13, 14-year-old lads and they were sat in like a, around the table of four and they were like, oh, do you know who I'd really like to beat up? I'd really like to beat up Max. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'd beat up Max and I'd beat up Jamie. Like, I know they're children, but I could have had, like, I could, yeah, I would have won every single one of those fights, <laughs> right? And I'm not a fighter. But they were clearly just egging each other on and trying to look hard in front of their mates. And I just wondered how much of a role did peer pressure play when you were growing up and making you who you are today? I'm going to start with Craig. Oh, so we're talking about school life and peer pressure. I don't know, I was kind of by myself because I was the one person in the school that wanted to be an actor and that was not the done thing coming from Blackpool, I suppose. Um, But I kind of stuck with it and just made a beeline for it because I was crap at everything else and it was either that or just signing on and I didn't want to do that um, but I didn't really succumb to peer pressure in that respect so did, did you get stick did I get stick yeah, yeah I did get stick until um the deputy headmaster wrote a play and he said right I know you like acting but you have to start going to classes I didn't tend to do a lot of that stuff he said right you go to classes you can be in this play so it was you know two-way thing. I said, all right, we'll do that. And then I started getting laughs from my peers in this play, and that's very infectious, isn't it, laughter? You know what I'm talking about. So then it just sort of spurred me on to do it, and I just felt a bit more supported, I suppose. Yeah. Cool. Good. (laughs) Mummy? mummy. Uh, Well, yeah, peer pressure was sort of an odd one for me, because... I sort of rejected it in that the expectation of me as a a little lad to be a certain way. I really didn't. I got this. Um, I was playing rugby. It was a rugby school that I went to, and the I was obviously shit at it. And uh, the PE teacher said at one point he shouted, um, uh, "Leave your handbag at home next time." And all the sort of lads laughed. And I wrote stand-up about it afterwards and said how shocked I was because it was a clutch. And I maybe put a little... <laughs> <laughs> but, like, think, when people say things like that to you, it really... It does... I mean, I'm remembering it now 15, 20 years on. Um, those sorts of things uh, made me... I've got this sort of... 
I think, a sort of personality, which is if someone makes me do something or expects me to behave in a certain way, I really resist it and want to do the opposite because I sort of think, why? Who who's, gives you the authority to tell me to do a certain thing? And so peer pressure obviously had a massive effect on me, but I actually realised that it was more fun and more um, exciting to reject what was expected of me in most situations. And... Um, kind of like you experience with your uh, being an actor. Like actually, if you sort of follow the sort of thread that nobody else is following, often that's the place where you get the most interest and most excitement. So I'd, there will have been lots of examples where, because we're all uh, um, susceptible to peer pressure, but generally if I'm aware that I'm... If I clock that I'm doing something that is expected of me, I'll then try and find a way of not doing that to piss everyone off sort of <laughs> Seems to be working. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. But like, I've got this ridiculous coat that I'm wearing at the minute. It's amazing. Well, this is a thing. So some people think it's amazing, and then I've had quite a few people say, "What are you doing?" It's. I look like um, I'm a in sleeping a bag. sleeping bag. It's a sleeping yeah. bag, basically. <laughs> is uh, it like a like like what, like a long bomber jacket, basically? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so. um, you know what you put on a boiler? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's very much like that. But it's what I find it very interesting about my own response to that coat is sometimes I'll be walking around and feel like, yeah, look at me and think it's a shit coat, you wank. And then sometimes I'll think, oh, God, I should have put a nice normal man's coat on. And it it depends on my mood as to whether I'm susceptible to peer pressure and want to sort of hide or kind of... Because if you're going to the opposite of peer pressure, then you are adhering to... You sort of become what everyone else is and so then you can get lost in that which is quite useful sometimes if you just look like everyone else and behave like everyone else but I generally don't (laughs) but yeah invisibility is comforting sometimes yeah yeah massively so yeah Mm -hmm. particularly when you're wandering around in a massive coat and you think I shouldn't have done this (laughs) (laughs) just just wanted to go to Tesco (laughs) but I imagine you are always toasty Oh, it's so warm, but actually too warm because I sweat loads, unlike Prince Andrew. It creates its own sort of ecosystem in that coat because it's very, yeah. We've got to pack mummy off to the Falklands War. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way to cure sweat, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Mummy's taken us all to Woking Pizza Express. <laughs> <laughs> when does this, when will this go on to the internet? <laughs> That's me speaking like a mummy, going like, what is the internet? When will... Because will it be relevant, Prince Andrew, or will he have been jailed? Uh, It'll definitely be within this century, so I reckon he'll still be knocking about. (laughs) I found that really wonderful. I really enjoyed watching it. He was so shit. Yeah. Like, when watching... Like, when you do things... I, I have this um, obsession with watching bot flies being removed from people's skin, you know, when they like they pull it out. I, had, I got the same thing. I've been sort of suffering... I don't know what a bot fly is. Bot fly sort of buries itself in your skin and it sort of eats you and to, in order to... That lady's really, really upset. They're really horrible. <laughs> it's really gross, but there are loads of videos online because people find it pleasing to watch them being removed. And I'm one of those people. And it's, I think it's because it's like that, oh, and you get the iron taste in your mouth. And I got exactly the same response to watching that Prince Andrew. Like, it was like, oh, God, like that. But like sort of the thrill of it. It was wonderful. 
did you read he was really chuffed with it though and he thought it went really well and gave them a tour of Buckingham Palace yeah, yeah. he's just like that was a great interview come see my bedroom <laughs> yeah. I love the fact that his PR quit in protest at the decision because I watched it going man I can't believe that a PR has gone I'll tell you what you do tell them you lost your ability to sweat during the fourth <laughs> and then also say you can't really remember when things happened earlier this year but in the early 2000s you can specifically remember the day you went to Woking Pizza Express <laughs> and then it made a lot more sense to me when his PR was like if you do this I'm going to fucking quit and he was like no problem <laughs> don't let the door hit you on the way out Sarah I've forgotten the question. <laughs> Is it about can I sweat? Yes. <laughs> Definitely. What um, was the question? Peer pressure, as it had an effect on you when you were growing up. I think it made me a comic. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I don't think I really... I didn't really know how to be cool and how to blend in. I didn't know... I really wanted to blend in desperately. And I didn't really know how. So I just kind of had to do it a bit... Similar to what Craig said, I sort of had to do my own thing and kind of you know some people came along for the ride and some people definitely didn't and but you know where are those fuckers now no I'm fine I'm fine shut up I'm fine um, I think it's that um, I wasn't able to do the things that I needed to do to blend in with everybody else and whether that's in here or whether I just didn't have the right shoes and I just never seemed to fit in so therefore it was better to just stick out in a weird sort of way and somebody talked to me recently about the idea of um your peak so the kids that are really cool at school and everybody likes and that's their peak whereas all the kind of potentially all the people on this stage and quite a lot of people in the audience we all peaked later on it's not important to peak at school um so I sort of actively didn't blend in um and I think that's probably it it was nice when I went to college and realized oh there's loads of me this is great (laughs) and I wrote uh, an article actually for stand issue about being kind of the quiet sort of mousy one and all of my friends loads of my friends texted me and went oh my god that was me in my class so I clearly I found all of the nerdy quiet ones from all of the classes and now we're all friends and it's great (laughs) was it like a bat signal (laughs) (laughs) but you can't see it though it's too (laughs) please don't look at me it is is kind of incredible when you go into that situation you go oh look there's all my people I found my people and there was a trust and belief in what I was doing by not standing out there but now you're doing the same and you've been doing the same as well yeah and there's something quite comforting in that oh absolutely I feel more comfortable with comedians than I do with on my own with anybody else and it's so odd to because I didn't find my gang until I was 29 I started doing stand-up so relatively late but god it was worth holding up for Mm. really was it's a weird old thing isn't it stand-up and or performing and I do think it is um mad in some ways uh like I, I think the desire to do it and the urge to do it is comes from i think uh sometimes a place of like um uh wanting to because i used to be like really show off at parties or like at events family events and since i've done stand-up i've become the opposite i kind of retreat and i don't is that because it's expected of you to be that one and Maybe. you don't want to be that now because yeah. you like to go yeah. against the grain? Yeah, and also they can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a corporate lesson. <laughs> Talk to my agent, auntie. Yes. 
I think there's a real... It, I, I'm always loath to put, like... Because people often, like, want to put people who do performance in some sort of special category. The only thing that I would say, the common thread is that lots of the performers I know want to be liked, but exclusively on their terms. Yeah. And so it's like, it's like love me, love me, but in these five ways. <laughs> and and that, I think that's got to come from, like, being a certain type of person exposed to a certain type of peer pressure mm. and then making choices as a result of that. Like, you have your kind of inherent nature, and then when it bumps up with a wider society, the combination of those two things pushes you into a career of like the sort of performing but i definitely feel like you like socially i used to be much more sort of gregarious and outgoing but now i feel that i have an outlet for that and actually it would be of real value for me to just shut the fuck up when i'm into like hanging out with people socially mm. rather than just because i i already get i already get enough attention and like there's some some in some way i've like worked that side of it out and now it's you know it's a little bit like but which is bad because often at family do's people are like do a bit of stand-up and you're like do not that's the worst thing that could happen (laughs) right now i don't know how to explain to you that at this christmas dinner (laughs) if i stood up and did 10 minutes of stand-up it would fucking ruin everything (laughs) and also if you're on all the time then it's just exhausting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. How do you a twat. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a twat, though, wouldn't it, if you, you were on all the time? Yeah, I couldn't oh, do it. no. You need to have... I think I consider myself to be an introvert, which I think people would find quite odd, given that I walk out on a stage and I, you know, talk about my funny <laughs> strangers. <laughs> yes, it's a job, ma'am. <laughs> um, but... I do. It's it's because it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the way you recharge, isn't it? Yeah. It, and I recharge often just on my own. That sounded dirtier than I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's what mummy's doing tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, International Women's Day isn't until March. <laughs> oh, I'll have to hold it in. Hands where we can see him. <laughs> I've got this watch that monitors my movement and tells me what I'm doing. So if I go for a run, it says, oh, did you go for a run? It predicts it. When I have a wank, it thinks I'm playing volleyball. <laughs> Does it count it, though? That's the main thing. Well, no, it says, like, did you do 12 minutes of volleyball at 1am? <laughs> 12, 12 minutes? I don't remember doing Goodness me, mummy. <laughs> Somebody's bragging. <laughs> Violent. I know. <laughs> also, like, I can't even. What are you doing to yourself, John? How did you volleyball? How are you like that? Are you like? Are you like spiking your dick? <laughs> Why are you doing this action at any point? <laughs> Obviously, doing it wrong. I wonder if I play. I've never played volleyball, so I wonder if I play volleyball. Did you have a wank on the beach? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is Joe Lysett having a, a, a wank on the beach? <laughs> Do you put a bikini on to go at it? <laughs> no, that's a lovely idea. <laughs> Let's all think about that for a moment. <laughs> oh, they've got too much to think about this evening. I'm just really grateful I have never called my own mum mummy. Because it would have been really this weird. Be horrible, yeah. Um, Mummy's playing volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's getting worse, it's getting worse. 
Um, <laughs> I love the reaction. It's quite a specific re- reaction from the audience. I'm like, oh. <laughs> also, what I'm really enjoying about this is because of the weird nature of this venue, Seamus Heaney is literally next door <laughs> reading poetry. <laughs> And playing volleyball. <laughs> so tell me, men, um, how often do you talk about your feelings? Let's start with Joe. Loads. I shudder I, to think what's going to come out. No, I talk about them loads, actually. This is interesting. I was talking to my friend earlier today about um, a mutual friend of ours who went to Oxford and he described him as very Oxford and wants to talk about literature and things like that, but never addresses his feelings in a so- social way and um, uh, will say everything's fine and then actually you find out afterwards that he split up with his partner or he's lost his job and he's, he said those are two very real examples where it's been presented as everything's okay and then not. And I was thinking about that. I would find that really difficult to behave in that way because... I suppose I'm so used to talking about my feelings and, as you say, like talking on stage very openly. And mm. um, I'm a real talker and I find that talking really soothes any ill, really. Any uh, issue I have, I will ring people loads, I'll message, I'll, I really will thrash it out with people. But I do think it is uncommon, maybe not in my generation, but in the generation above me and beyond, uh, for men to talk about their feelings, and maybe that's part of the problem. Um, Indeed. But I, d- I don't know why that's, be- why that's happened, wh- how that started, and why, what the logic of that was. I know that it's sort of seen as being like... It's sort of... I described this about my friend who doesn't say how he's feeling. It's sort of the way the Queen behaves publicly, <laughs> in that she presents as such. She never sort of says anything, whatever, but never gives an opinion, and that is seen as strong and wise... Whereas actually, there's probably loads going on where you're like, "Fucking, hell, I've got to shake this prick's hand." Like, there must be lots going on in the. Actually... I mean, that's definitely not what she's thinking today. <laughs> I know, today, God knows what she's saying. But I think it's uh, it can be misjudged as but, uh, silence can be misjudged as strength, and um, I think that it's a bit of a cliche. But I think that displaying your weakness is a massive. Strength, actually. I agree, but I say that as someone who would rather die than talk about their feelings. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm terrible for it. Um, What's going on? I I think it's an Irish thing. I think I come from an Irish family in which people go, oh, but we don't talk about that. There are whole periods in our family history that are described by euphemisms such as the unpleasantness. (laughs) And you're like, that was like 20 years where nobody talked to each other. The unpleasantness. So I think I've got a touch of that. It's quite British as well, isn't it, not talking about your feelings? You said your your friend, do you talk about your stuff to your friend who doesn't... So he can receive yeah, oh yeah. and can help with that? Yes, or? he's very much a bottom. Um, <laughs> I was trying. You guys, I heard a snigger and I was yeah. like, you fuckers. Um, Over there. I, so I'm just wondering, because sometimes if I've got a friend who I think has got stuff going on, I'll talk about stuff that's going on with me in a way to, to trigger kind of, it. Yeah, so yeah. that they go, oh, she's been open about this, maybe I could be open about yeah. this. When we, really, it might just look like, oh, God, she's off again, <laughs> talking about her fucking problems. <laughs> Do you, so does that does not work with him? No, and we were literally both saying that we'd attempted that mm. strategy with him to no avail. 
And, and, and I actually, part of me just thinks, well, maybe actually the massive awkwardness that he would feel in talking about his feelings isn't worth pursuing it anymore. Mm. And we should just sort of try and read between the lines and... It, it, maybe it's maybe. on us to not actually have it written down or the actual words and to use our intuition and our instinct and go, actually, he's saying he's OK, but you can tell from X, Y, Z mm. that he's not. And he's communicating but in this maybe, other way. Also, maybe he's got better friends than you and tells them. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just not as close as you think to him. <laughs> I haven't considered that. <laughs> It could be. I think. I think there are times where you know you do go to certain friends for certain things. Yeah. I have a friend in particular who tells me to fucking well pull myself together, and I have to ring her quite a lot because she's quite good at that sort of thing. Mm. But equally, I I say more often than not to quite a lot of my friends, is there somebody else you could be talking to this about? Because I don't think I'm very good at this. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah, you talk about your feelings. Oh, almost continually. Uh, (laughs) yeah I think so I talk about stuff on stage but obviously that's in a kind of controlled way Um, but everything I say on stage I mean so it might have been sort of ironed out so that it's it's easier to say on a repeated basis so I've had a couple of things in shows where I've had some lines that have been hard to say and they're still hard to say over the course of a tour um, but you get it in a position so that you can see it every day without sort of it affecting you because it is still, you know, it's still your job. Um, so, yeah, and I do talk to friends and I am I am good at the kind of texting to say, oh, can yeah. we have a chat? And and I do, I'm much more, I'm not a very group friend, but I'm, I've got lots of one-on-ones. So yeah. I'll do lots of one-on-ones. And, but then what I try and do, so like at the moment... I'm all right. So then I'll sort of field myself out to my friends to see if any of them need a bit of a pick-me-up. Mm. And I'll offer my, not like explicitly offer my services, but I'll be like, how are you? And then not mention how I am. And then we can talk about them for a bit because I'm all right because I know there'll be other times when I need to lean on them a mm. bit more. Sarah? so good at that. Do you, do you tell Joe stuff? Do I tell Joe stuff? Yeah. <laughs> She's never told me anything. <laughs> I don't know who this woman is. <laughs> Mummy wouldn't understand. <laughs> we do sometimes talk about stuff, don't we? Yeah. yeah well, you, yeah. I mean, literally before this show, you've been, you're very good at giving advice and a very good ear. Um, I'm not sure how good an ear I've been in response in return, but then I've just found out that my other friend fucking hates me. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, he's been contacting me. <laughs> and it's gone really well. <laughs> oh, Craig, do you talk about your feelings? I do a lot. In fact, I always half joking to a friend of mine the other week, and they said, "Oh, how did your session go in therapy?" I said, "I think I talked too much to her. She needs to, she needs to anchor me down. I just talked her head off for an hour." But I think it's certainly changed personally for me since I started the podcast a couple of years ago because I'm spending all this time putting all my focus that's not about me about this person's life and there if they've got any problems then they just seem to tell me everything and I remember early on in the first year I stupidly ran before I could walk and thought no I'll be fine I will record four episodes in one day and that's really fucking heavy when you're trying to deal with them filter all this stuff and I remember going home on the train and it'd been a really hard day of stories and I just burst into tears on the train because I I didn't have a process yet to filter these stories out in these people's lives 
And I remember saying it because I'm very, even though I try not to uh, be narcissistic in any way and talk about myself, I'm very honest with like my listeners. I remember telling this specific story on, on an episode for some reason. I thought, why do I need to overshare all the time with them? I don't know, but I did. And then my producer sent me an email the other week going, I think you better look at this. A therapist had got in touch with me and offered her services for free <laughs> because she said, you seem to be dealing with so much with other people. Who's there for you? I mean, it was very kind of her, but I didn't take her up on her offer. But yeah, I found somebody else. I think she's probably a bit shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're canvassing to people you've never met, yeah. It's, it's not a good business. It's not a good sign, is it? Like, Has she been in touch with us? I think it's really interesting what Sarah was just saying about having specific people who you talk to because mm. it's like you've got that person well I've got this problem and they're the right person for it whereas over here that's not the yeah. right person and I've never been one for uh, group sharing or group chats or anything but certainly it's certain individuals can really ground you and anchor you and, and help you deal with it and I think I mean talking's kind of changed my life in in so many ways but to be really honest and be truly honest and also how often of a day do you hear, how are you? And then people move on to what yeah. they're talking about. They don't genuinely go, how are you? Yeah. And then they give you that pause to genuinely ask that question because yeah. they want to know how you are. People do want to know. But also, isn't that sometimes the worst question to ever be asked? Yeah. No, I think it's yeah. a really important question to be asked. Oh, it can send me it, over the edge. I know, oh, but yeah, yeah, holding yeah. it together. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, don't be nice to me. Yeah, but then <laughs> you've released something, so that's an important prospect. Oh, no, but I once, I was on tour and I had some family stuff going on and it was, it's really awful. But then, you know, you, you turn on the show and, you, you know, you do the show. And I thought, I'll be all right if somebody heckles your shit. But if anybody heckles, how are you? (laughs) 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 Sarah said that as a joke, but that actually happened when we were doing the Q&A for your book. I can't remember where we were. We were down south somewhere. And this old guy had had his hand up before questions were being asked at all. And then they were like, all right, you've had your hand up. And he just went... How are you, love? <laughs> Sarah was like, is that your question? I'm all right. Was that in Yorville when we'd been in the car for like a fortnight? Yeah. Because it's really fucking far away. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was so sweet. So oh, terrible question to ask. <laughs> no, but you're right. It's a really good question to ask, but not when you're on stage. I understand, I understand <laughs> yeah. where you're coming from as well. But is it quite hard, especially for you three, doing what you do if you're dealing with something in your personal life and you know that you've got to switch on tonight? I, for me, I am always grateful that I wrote the show when I was, like, funnier. Because <laughs> when you're going through stuff, you're not funny. So you write a show, and the show is good, and then you put the, you tell the show, you tell everybody what the show is. But if I'd had to be funny off the cuff during that tricky time, nothing would come. Because mm. that's the first thing that goes when you're stressed or tired. Or For me, the first thing that goes is funny. So I am always grateful that I wrote the show when I was in a better state. Yeah, you totally, you totally <laughs> lean on the material. Because even if there's not some huge problem in your life that's going on, it, sometimes, it, you know, 50 shows into a tour, you are just a bit tired. And so you, you, that's, you really lean on the material. Like, you, you write, mm. anyone can have, not anyone, but I think a lot of people can have a really good gig when they're feeling really funny. But the reason you write the show and get the material to a point that's bulletproof is sometimes, sometimes you walk off and you go, the show really carried me. Mm. Yeah. Like, the show that I finished six months ago really carried me through that evening because I was not 
you know, and it doesn't necessarily have me need to be some sort of emotional problem. It could just be I've mistimed a Nando's. And, <laughs> and, and the chicken is here, and I am, you know, I am going to be in real. I'm going to be in real bother for the next ninety minutes. We used to, so, uh, when I first started, I couldn't like eat for about five hours before going on stage, and then now I can. They can be saying my name while I'm picking chicken. Yeah, yeah. But we used to have on the last tour when we had the old Nando's at like ten to eight, and we started at eight o'clock. We used to have what we called thoughtful moments, which was if you needed to do a burp you just had a little think and you sneaked it out away from the microphone and then cracked on so it's a lot of chickeny air around me generally oh yeah but it's, it's amazing how like for the first five six years the adrenaline and shock of performing shuts your entire bodily functions down mm. and then it's amazing the more comfortable you get on stage i mean it is good that it's good to play bigger and bigger venues because if anyone smelled the sort of five metre radius around me when I'm on stage, it would, they would assume something had died and the thing that had died was a human shit. <laughs> like, it is. I am just secreting from all ends. <laughs> like, what, at one point I thought... <laughs> there you go. Too comfortable. Too comfortable in front of an audience. If you're willing to look people who have paid to see you in the eye as you silently fart, you have become too comfortable on stage. <laughs> Does that mean you're less excited, though, to when you started, if you're, if you're more relaxed? I think there's still nerves, but I think they're just good nerves. Yeah, you channel I think them in a different way. I think you're excited. You're not, yeah, I still get nervous. Mm, yeah. Um, happy farts, as yeah, opposed yeah. to scared farts. Yeah. But farts, nevertheless. Yeah. <laughs> two different tenors and smells, let me tell you. My happy fart, both bad, just different types of bad. <laughs> I think I've ever farted on stage. You should you give it a go, now? mate. You feel like an absolute king. Go on, one <laughs> go on mummy, let one go. I, I wish I had one to let go. I've sort. always got one brewing. <laughs> Could you lend it's it IBS to Joe? For you. It's IBS. <laughs> I just don't have one right now. <laughs> It'd be really funny if you tried to do one and shat yourself. <laughs> Having said, I've never farted on stage. I have, however, passed a full turd. <laughs> But my watch said it was 12 minutes of volleyball. <laughs> An actor told me once, something once, they said, you know, it's impossible, if you're in a, you're in a play, you're in the scene, it's impossible to sneeze on stage. I said, really? And I was thinking about it, going, have I ever sneezed on stage? And then I was doing this play a few years ago, and I had a sneezing fit during this one specific scene, and then it happened for the next four nights in that specific wow. scene. So I don't know what was going on there. That's it, that's all I've got to say. It's the not character... the best anecdote, but it is the truth. Did the character have to become, like, the sneezer? Did you have to keep it going? No, I, to, no, I couldn't keep it going oh, any longer. No. Were you a ninja? <laughs> they didn't have to no. write in hay fever. <laughs> uh, this play about... is set in space. The pollen count is high on the moon. <laughs> no, it's actually set in Oldham. So maybe... <laughs> Maybe I was just alerted to being back up north. <laughs> when you were talking, sorry, when you were talking about feelings and how you talk about your feelings, mm. is that something that is necessary when you're an actor? Because you've got to be able to draw at stuff. I, I don't know about that because I was thinking, is it always in you? Like Hannah was saying before, that she couldn't talk about her feelings, and I, there's somebody I know who, and I've known them for twenty years, but can I say, do I really know them? 
I don't think I do because they don't talk about their feelings. Mm. And so is it always in you and it just needs to be unlocked? I don't know. Are you that type of person that, that talks about the feelings? I don't think I always have been the type of person, but there's certainly been a huge shift in my life that's, that's made me want to do it. And I think it's really, it's really helped me. And I, I would encourage you all to speak more about your feelings. It's really quite nice. <laughs> I, I find whiskey helps. That's good. Yes. That's just a tip. She sometimes, will also sometimes just text you later to let you know what she was feeling at the time. Uh, <laughs> you got a question? I have got a question. Talking about feelings, I would like to know, how are you feeling about the state of the world right now, Nish? <laughs> well, let me tell you. Who's got 90 minutes? Uh, <laughs> and 20 quid each. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> Um, I feel I feel very stressed Um, I feel very stressed about the election I feel very stressed about what could happen next I feel very everything feels on a a real knife edge in terms of where the country goes after December the 12th where America goes after next November because I think The thing that worries me is that there's constantly this idea that somehow... I think people view this whole thing like it's the end of a fairy tale, where it's like, if something happens and Brexit is fine, or and Trump doesn't win in 2020, then everything goes back to normal. But you're like, no, a a sort of genie has been uncorked, Mm. and there's going to be a lot of difficult conversations. The thing that I try and stay sort of positive about is it does feel like broadly, and I mean, the, the fact that you've come out to this podcast is maybe means you're not necessarily representative sample, but it does feel like there are more and more of these sorts of conversations happening. And it, as an entire generation of people is way more politicized than they, they ever have been. And, you know, if you, you know, when I, I went down to the Extinction Rebellion and just to see lots of, and I know it's very easy to sort of caricature I did hear three separate people be called Poppy. And you're like, (laughs) I mean, this is what people think it is. But it's very easy to sort of caricature that kind of activism. But I do think it's, uh, that's where I draw optimism about the state of the world, is that, you know, young people, and but even my generation are way more politically active and politically engaged. And it does suggest to me that as much as I feel there's a lot of doom and gloom around gender issues and the climate and the LGBTQ issues, it does feel like there's a greater sense that more and more people are not willing to go down without a fight um, on any one of these. And so uh, as much as the state of the world, I think, is perilous, I think the activism and engagement on a wide variety of different political issues is a real cause for optimism. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And, and on a scale of one to ten, how tired are you? <laughs> I feel I just you know it's <laughs> it's like I but I feel a bit disingenuous because like ultimately all I do is often just talk about the news and do comedy about it but I know people who are actual activists and the it is it's so worth speaking to them because the people who are really at the coalface and at the very forefront of a lot of these conversations seem 
to have irresistible reserves of energy for the fight. Well, which is that's great. a good point because I'll put a plug here. We had Femi Olawu yeah. in the studio uh, today with us, and that will come out on Thursday. And I don't know where he gets it from. Yeah, it's just, because it's goodwill. It's everything. He's always smiling. He's always happy. And I think we could bottle what he had. Yeah, I yeah. Would buy it. Femi's uh, um, amazing, and he's a, a sort of example of exactly the sort of thing that I'm talking about. Someone from a younger generation who is just is you know a full-time activist and it, i've been fortunate enough to meet some amazing people in the last few years that are doing a variety of incredible uh, are doing a variety of incredible work across a lot of different areas and their passion it keeps me energized and engaged um but you know broadly we're in a tight spot <laughs> <laughs> Your stuff that you, when you tour, your show is topical. Yeah. Do you have because everything is changing all the time? Yeah. Is that like something you have to keep on top of, or well, does a lot of it stay the same? Or the thing is, the sort of I expected. I did a tour that really spanned from like September till about March, April, and then I sort of, and then I did some dates in August in Edinburgh. So it really was a full year, and I'd sort of anticipated there was a lot of the show that was about you know, like the sort of Me Too movement and uh, racism. And there there were certain like things that I knew were kind of big topics that weren't going to shift. And that was really most of the like last 45 minutes of the show. The top, the stuff of the first 20, 25 minutes was about Brexit and Trump. And I'd assumed that I would be constantly rewriting. And the amount of rewriting I had to do was worryingly negligible. Because (laughs) if you think about it, if you think about the progress that we've made in terms of Brexit, where Brexit actually is. And, I mean, there's been superficial changes. The Brexit secretaries at this point are basically spinal tap drummers. Like, they just go. It's, there's no point. I don't even bother learning the next one's fucking name because, he, you know, he's going to be out of a job in an hour anyway. But um, it's currently Stephen Barclay, who's one of the... Uh, one of the thicker people. Uh, but Just waiting for a gardening accident. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's the... I was really worried by how little shifted. Because if you actually look at where we... Uh, at the start of the tour, I was saying, oh, man, this is going badly uh, because we haven't passed a withdrawal agreement and I'm really worried about that that's going to leave us. And we still haven't passed a withdrawal agreement. And if you look at the actual amount of progress we've made, the central premise of all of the jokes were this is going really badly because it's being executed by some fundamentally untalented people, which I still stand by. The actual leadership of the Brexit movement is some of the least talented individuals our country or species has ever produced. And so unfortunately, that did not shift. I think at some point I assumed somebody would emerge out of the woodwork who actually had the skill to see this thing through but no nobody has and that's why we're in the position that that we're in because none of the architects of brexit really understand how to do it and so i basically didn't have to change any of the and donald trump didn't suddenly discover civility and a respect for women so i didn't have to i I actually had to change worryingly little all the changes that happened were you know theresa may was prime minister then she wasn't prime minister and that really ultimately was the biggest shift that i had to rewrite Mm. uh, which was was really frightening um over the you know over the kind of tour but i did try and have like 40 45 minutes that was about stuff that had definitively happened and wasn't really gonna and wasn't really gonna shift this podcast goes out in december 2023 (laughs) (laughs) i'll still stand joe how do you feel about the state of the world 
What's mummy up to? I don't really know how to answer that question. Uh, Probably uh, idiotically hopeful about the future. I feel like we're definitely in troubling times, as Nish has quite um, uh, eloquently pointed out. But um, I do think we're... When you meet people, generally it's rare to go, what an entire 100% dickhead. You often can find things to be positive and excited about in the people that you meet. And that gives me great hope because I sort of feel like actually most people just want to do the right thing and maybe they get it wrong and we all get it wrong in different ways. And uh, But ultimately, our, m- most of our motivation is to do the right thing. Now, that might be naive but that's generally my experience when I meet individuals I also think that we're in troubling times and actually if you look over the history of humanity most of uh, our history has been troubling so it's not necessarily any cause for real concern because this is maybe the dip in the wave and then there's an up again might be massively naive it might be mummy's had a couple of wines Um, (laughs) I really like it though I find it comforting when people say wildly optimistic things even if I know they're bollocks yes yes I want to get bored (laughs) (laughs) this is why nobody talks to Hannah (laughs) Hannah doesn't talk to anybody (laughs) oh my god I had an outburst of feelings I'm going to be quiet (laughs) but I I think the big and Nish and I, I I text Nish because because I was having a slightly nihilistic um, moment and I was thinking about um, uh, climate change because I think that's that's really the big issue that nobody is dealing with and actually Brexit and everything else pales massively into comparison and we all know it but none of us are really dealing with it. But um, when I text Nish about it, I wanted to get... um, because Nish is, as you've seen, and so smart, and it's so useful to have someone like Nish on the end of the phone where you go, I think this thing, and I don't really know what to think, and can you tell me how to think? And then he'll text me, and I'll be like, ah. Oh. And um, <laughs> I, uh, my issue with climate change is that I know it's a massive problem, and all of the numbers sort of suggest that we can't fix it, really. You know, they say we've got to reduce our emissions by so much, and in order to do that, we've got to basically stop everything and stop the way that capitalism works. And... Uh, that basically means if we do it now then everyone dies or loads of people die or if we just sort of pretend it's not happening then we all die later so why not live a little bit longer that's sort of how I was looking at it I was thinking well maybe we should just carry on as we are try and do a bit less but we'll never drop it the amount that it needs and actually Nish was very reassuring and actually there are ways of doing it that can be implemented and will be difficult but that doesn't have to result in mass death and mass famine, um, which was very reassuring. But um, I do... My main hope is that I think we're a really resourceful and intelligent species when we have to be, and there will be amazing things that we can achieve and amazing ways of wriggling out of the problems that we have created. And if not, then we all die, and we should all die, and the planet should just restore itself to whatever it was, and our species should could we? Could <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. How <laughs> like, we maybe be... we should all just fucking die. I don't know. That's, what, that's my point. Could we all be playing volleyball when we die? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. I have. I, I, I oscillate between these sort of uh, very optimistic um, views on it, and then think, well, actually, maybe this is just the natural uh, deterioration of you know we've had a go. 
maybe it's time for the next species you did. to have you, a go. You veered wildly from I'm, I'm very optimistic to we're all going to die, <laughs> and we probably should. But I like to think that from what you just said that Nish just texted back, choose love. <laughs> <laughs> Just a photo of his tattooed chest. Yes, I think I think I texted back uh, some really like boring specific details about some of the things that are being proposed in the Green New Deal mm. uh, in the states and over here. And it's one of the few times that it was received warmly by Joe. Because I'll tell you, I'm a real buzzkill on a WhatsApp group right now. I am a real. You know, people are like, we're just trying to organise the stag do. <laughs> Maybe actually people don't want to hear about emissions when they're trying to see whether we got that house in the Peak District rented. (laughs) Craig, what about you? Well, I think it's really interesting what Joe was saying because it's... I'm trying to be hopeful. I'm really, really trying. And it gets me down and it drags me down. But my focus is right at the moment I've got an eight-year-old little boy, so... I have to try and be hopeful yeah. for does him. Does he ask questions? Well, he does ask questions, and it was interesting. Um, the other week, no, it was two weeks ago, I was picking him up from school, and I'd been up north, and uh, I said, how was your day? And he usually kind of clams up and doesn't want to talk about it. What did you have for your lunch? Don't matter, I can't remember. Next question. So I said, how was your day today? And he went, do you know what? We were talking today about climate change. I said, were you? He said, Dad, I think I'm in love. I said, wow, we've gone from climate change to love. These are big, big topics. Strap in. And I said, so what, why are you in love? And he said, well, we're talking about this girl called Greta Thunberg, and she's really trying to change things. And I, I said, tell me more. Aim high, kid. Aim high. If you're going to do it, I'm right behind you. So then we were having a talk about it, and I'm not as uh, politically aware as I would want to be, but I'm open for learning. I think we all should be, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bought him a book when I came back from Manchester and we're starting to read like a little chapter every night and go through it. And he's asking me questions, some of which I cannot answer for the life of me. But then I'll go and after research and try and find an answer for him because it's my, I feel it's my responsibility to do that. But it's also the school's responsibility to be teaching the next generation and talking to them yeah. about it. And learning that as much as, as learning maths or English or anything else because this is what's happening. So yeah, it... Um, kind of spun me out a bit, but it kind of warmed me a bit as well and filled me with some hope. Oh. It is the hope that will kill us. <laughs> this is true. Come on, monkey overlords. <laughs> Come on, the matrix. Uh, actually, it's more likely to be unregulated capitalism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as I say, buzzkill on a WhatsApp. <laughs> so our final question was going to be, um, if you were going to go for a pint with someone, um, uh, who would it be? Oh, well, I, I'll probably say something very boring like Bob Dylan uh, or, um, uh, I mean, there's a temptation to just sort of, especially if it's specifically talking about alcohol, there's a temptation for someone like a sort of like Peter O'Toole or a Mae West, like someone who you think is going to be like... someone they're you the think same kind of No, they, to me, they like... Yeah, to me, they are. Like, in terms of, like, the people who I associate with being, like, people who you historically categorise as can probably hold their drink. Like, uh, but I think probably it would be someone... It would probably be someone quite boring, like Bob Dylan or... Maybe Jimi Hendrix, but it seems like he would be quite, quite withdrawn. Nina Simone seems like she'd be a good laugh. Hmm? D- yeah. But pro- pro- probably Bob Dylan. Fair dues. 
He's actually the one that's alive out of all of those, so probably yeah. the best bet. I, I think you'd probably get about as much lucid conversation out yeah. of him as you would out of the corpse of Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> Sarah? Um, oh, I don't know. Does it, do they have to be dead? No, there can be anyone. No. I mean, you can come um, out for a pint with us afterwards if you're up for can it. Can I do that? Yeah. <laughs> I think... Uh, God, I think just my friends. I don't think I can be asked to go out with somebody who's, you know, massively successful and famous and I'm supposed to ask them all questions and how did you die? And <laughs> <laughs> Just my friends. I'd like to go out with my friends. Joe? The British volleyball team. <laughs> I'm moving on, Craig. Why is mummy timing us? <laughs> Stan Laurel, Kate Bush, I think would be very Ooh. interesting. Oh, yeah. Jimmy Stewart. So they're the three that I always say because <laughs> as much as I find people endlessly fascinating and I'm curious about people, I would want to know sort of what makes them tick mm. a bit more. And I think we'll probably get through a few pints as well. Mm. Hannah, who are you taking for a pint? Oh, um, <laughs> uh, I mean, you offered me, but if that offered yeah, me, oh, well, no. Sarah, obviously. Oh, <laughs> that's nice. We all How need about that. You, Mickey? I think I can get my grandma back. She was oh, a good crack. Oh, yeah. yeah, she might explain some stuff that's gone on in the family's past that she wouldn't talk about when she's alive. <laughs> <laughs> I've got questions, grandma. <laughs> um, that went that went from heartwarming to chilling so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to get my grandma back. Oh, to find out if she killed anyone. Oh! <laughs> Has anyone got anything that they would like to plug? Craig, you keep mentioning a podcast. Give it its name. It's called The Two Shot Podcast. Goes it's out amazing. Thursday and all. You can get it everywhere. It's fine. That's about it. Joe? Uh, I'm currently making a TV show called Joe Lice. It's Got Your Back and it's a consumer show, sort of like Watchdog with jokes. And we are um, particularly looking for people that work in companies and are observing those companies behaving badly. So if you think you could be a whistleblower and you don't have to give your name, you could be anonymous, we want to hear from you. There's an email address which is gotyourback at rumpusmedia.co.uk. Uh, but it's also on my Twitter. But like any, if you've got any consumer issues, any Anything like that that you think that we can help with? Um, all ears. Congratulations, that was the weirdest block we've ever had. <laughs> well, it's... Thank you. <laughs> Sarah? I've got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Why, are so Why are you so pleased? Why are you so pleased you're having oh, a lovely um, time? Yeah. You, still, uh, you, can, you got, can still buy your book. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, if you were... I mean, somebody you know has probably got it. Just borrow it. <laughs> I get my money up front, so... <laughs> uh, I'd like to plug my copy of Sarah's book, which I will be handing around outside. Um, I actually don't... Re- I don't have anything. I think I, the Mass Report, which is the political comedy show that I present... The, I think there's still some episodes on iPlayer. Um, there's lots of clips up on uh, YouTube. So if you want to watch that, that's good. Great. Hannah? What's well, standard issue? 
Oh, thanks. Give us a visit, standardissuepodcast.com, and you'll find details of all our live gigs, and our podcasts are on there, and links to where you can find us. But uh, to keep up to date, follow us on Twitter at Standard Issue UK, and please join me in thanking our guests, Nish Kumar, Sarah Milliken, Joe Weiser, and Craig Parkinson. And thank you for being smashing. Standard Issue, for all women. Thanks for listening. Just a heads up that if you're feeling lonely or alone on Christmas Day, then you really should get involved with hashtag join in. It's the ninth year of our excellent Sarah Millican's gorgeous campaign to make sure no one feels lonely at Christmas. It can be a really tricky time, whether you're flying solo or surrounded by people, but you are not alone. There'll be a whole group of folks keeping each other company on Twitter. Get involved with hashtag join in. Merry Christmas. <laughs>